0: The Rigger Gambling Feed is back every Monday. Join myself, Joe House, Raheem Palmer, and John Derschebski for East Coast Bias. Sunday's action recap and our favorite bets for Monday Night Football. Then on Tuesday we got the Roster Diamond Show where I'll break
1: down everything you need to know in the betting world plus the East Coast Bias Boys will be back on Thursday to
0: help you get your betting card sorted
1: ahead of all the NFL action.
0: And then on Fridays it's me back with Warren Sharp deep diving into the analytics. So be sure to subscribe
1: on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast.
2: Two extra point, take it. Kapadia here, joined by Ben Solak. Divisional round weekend in the books. We've got four teams left. We've got three games left. We've got two games coming up this weekend. We still got all kinds of head coach openings, not moving at a rapid pace, stuff happening around the league, a very busy time. So we got lots to get to with our takes today. Benjamin Solak, what are you sipping on? Was that LT? Was that a little hot chocolate? What do we got?
1: I got, it's a homemade tea brew by my pal, Kiara, and my bird mug. Very nice. Oh, I thought you'd be more excited about it. <laughs> Never mind. I going to oh, over right? Yeah. Uh, There's the first Extra Point Taken, Sheel. Uh, I should say the post again, the early week Extra Point Taken. Not being recorded late at night after a Monday night football game, not being recorded early on a Tuesday because for some reason we couldn't do after Monday night football. We had to get up early and do it. This is being recorded at a regular hour of the day. So if you notice good takes, surprisingly elevated conversations and thoughts, just know it's because we are at a reasonable
2: hour and it's a wonderful feeling. And yeah, that could lead to worse takes. You know, sometimes the loopiness of a 2 a.m. or whatever right. helps us out, but whatever. All right, here we go. Let's get to it. I'm up first today, Solak. I've got the extra point taken, Uh, so I will lead us off, and I'm going to lead us off with the the game of the weekend, and I'm going to go to the losing team in that game, and I'm here to tell you that the Bills window is still wide open. This might sound like a very, you know, what is he talking about? Did he not watch that game? Has he not seen what's transpired over the last five years? That that was another gut-wrenching loss. And so now you have all the takes firing off Sean McDermott, this Josh Allen, that they got to make drastic changes. I'm here to tell you that you don't need to buy into any of those things. Okay. This has been a heartbreaking stretch for the Buffalo Bills and their fan base. Like, I, I, you know me, I don't feel much emotion, but I was like feeling emotion watching the fans in the stands after that game. You wrote about it beautifully, by the way, in the uh, hot read, everyone check that out on the ringer.com. But to have these teams be so close, you know, for a fan, it can make you question, why do I waste my time? Why do I waste my money? Why do I waste my emotional energy on sports? I could be doing something else with my life. If you're a Bills fan, this is just like another one that you're adding to the ledger year after year after year. However, the Buffalo Bills are not broken. They don't need to fire the whole coaching staff. This isn't about Josh Allen isn't able to win the big game. Okay, this is a team that over the last two years has lost one game by more than seven points. How many? And that's what that's they played thirty-five games? How many games? It sounds more. Right. Well, they played sixteen last year in the regular season because the the Demar Hamlin uh, and then game was canceled. So 19. So
1: yeah, thirty-six games. Yeah, and they've lost games. one by more than two. one. Oh, one man, by more that than something.
2: Who beat them by more than a touchdown? The Bengals last year in the playoffs. Ah,
1: uh, there you go. That was the one 24 yeah. 10.
2: And if you're a Bills fan, you're probably like, who cares? Shut up, loser. I don't go, I don't go brag to my friends of other teams talking about how few games we've lost by more than seven points. I understand that. This team has gotten stung by bad luck, by randomness, by miscues. Listen, there are miscues in high leverage situations. But these are not things that require a big blow up. And so I think it's good to look at NFL history here if you're a Bills fan and you're feeling down. Peyton Manning played eight seasons before the man got to a Super Bowl. I am old enough to remember this, where all these conversations, Oh, Peyton Manning can't win the big one. You don't want Manning uh, in the all these things to the Peyton Manning. And then guess what? He eventually got there eventually won one with the Colts, and then won another one with the Broncos. Aaron Rodgers played 18 seasons with the Packers and got to the Super Bowl one time. Okay, it is very hard. The stars need to align. The you know the Tom Brady careers, the Patrick Mahomes careers. These are on like a, a, a level of their own. They are the one percent of the one percent. For everyone else, including the all-time greats, which by the way, Josh Allen has a chance to be. It's going to be very different. So. This is a team that's going to keep being in the mix, okay? Next year, Josh Allen is going to be 28 years old. They've got roster questions to answer, no doubt about it, but they've still got an offensive line, uh, running back, tight end, they're good, all those things. And listen, one of these years, Bills fans, the bounces are going to go your way. It doesn't seem like it now. You're going to break through. You might not get two. You might not get three. You might not get four. You might not be the career, the number of championships you hope for you're gonna get one and when that happens, you will remember all the misery and the heartbreak and the 13 seconds and the missed 41yard field goal and the Stefan Diggs almost catch and all these things you will remember about what it took to get there to that one championship and you will appreciate it even more. You will think of your loved ones they say ah, I wish they were here to see this. you will cry, you will hug your friends, you will be overcome with emotion. And Josh Allen will hoist a Lombardi trophy. It will happen. Again, if you're a Bills fan, you don't want to hear this right now. Okay. Uh, those images in the fans yesterday, again, those were tough to watch. But I'm telling you, it's going to happen eventually. This is not a blow everything up. This is not a referendum on Josh Allen. This is not anything on Sean McDermott. It sucks to say, but you got to just keep plugging away, being in the mix. And one of these, these years, the ball's going to bounce your way. So there you go. I feel like I've been the Bills defender Solak from like the de- first day we started this yes. podcast. I don't know how I got there. I really have no connection to the fine people of Western New York, but that is legitimately, authentically how I feel. So there you go. Right.
1: I was going to accuse you initially. I was going to be like, this is Bills Cope. As someone who you are so close to cashing <laughs> some amazing Bills receipts. Yeah, that I you're feel taking- okay. And
2: they got to the divisional round. They were six and six right. when I said it and or whatever. The, your, your prediction was, the Bills,
1: they're, they're going to win the division, and they did. And then, and then you I start the post, he's like, they're going to win the Super Bowl, and they didn't get there. So what's the new prediction? They'll win one eventually, right? That uh, one you have be to really, catch at some point uh, down the road. Man. But no, I, I, the Bills window is, the, is really the most interesting thing to me because uh, you're absolutely right. When you have a quarterback as talented as Josh Allen is, which this is always worthy of, of restating, if Patrick Mahomes were wiped off the face of the earth, and we looked at like quarterbacking numbers from the last five years, you would not be able to make an argument that there was a quarterback in the league better than Josh Allen. You couldn't do it. Like right now, I think Lamar is, is playing better than Josh. I think when Lamar's at his peak and Josh's at his peak, I think there's a legitimate conversation. But if you look at like data over the last several seasons, again, if you just take Patrick Mahomes and put him on Mars, there is no question the best quarterback on earth right now is Josh Allen. However, not only does Mahomes exist, he exists in the conference, and not only does he exist in the conference, he's got a coach and he's got a defense, and then he's got the surrounding talent necessary to always be there in the playoffs. Just, a, just a an unconscionable roadblock, just a mountain in your way, and it, and it is so hard to constantly up against that and and lose. And so, Allen is unbelievable. He's incredible. He's so talented. Having Allen as your quarterback ensures that you are always in a Super Bowl window. With that said. Josh Allen hit the cap this year for $18.6 million, Jill, Right? I think that people always, you know, okay, like, I like uh uh, you know, contract extension. He's super expensive right now. Allen signed his contract extension a couple of years ago, but you don't immediately become expensive because of the way these are structured. So he hit the cap for 18.6 this year. It was 16.3 the year previous and 10.2 the year before that. Next season, he hits the cap for million, right? That's the, that's the amount of space that he takes up. His numbers start to shoot up because his restructure bonuses are going to start to 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 climb through the roof, right? They're going to start to really, really, uh, eat up space on the team. And he stays in like the 40 to like $60 million range for the next few years. The window stays open. The margins get a lot slimmer. And that's what makes it like, like, I, it's, I, that's actually wrong to say. That's not what makes these losses so disappointing. What makes these losses so disappointing is losing to Patrick Mahomes three times in the postseason. Like, no, no one's like, oh no, the contract. Like, that's not what what makes them hurt. That's absolutely not the case. But from a, from a sober next day analysis, when we look at this as NFL analysts, what makes it particularly crushing is that they had a window in which Josh was dramatically underpaid for what he was providing them. And they, they, they spent tons of money, they spent tons of resources, they got a lot of good players in the building, they did it largely correct and couldn't get the hay in the barn, couldn't get the ball across the line. Now you have to do it with like perfect drafting. Now you have to do it with like uh, excellent development and retaining coaches. The margins get a lot thinner around Josh because he starts to take up a lot more money. And so that really, I think like, you're right to say the window is still open, but it does get tougher from here, which to tell a Bills fan, hey, that was the easy stretch. (laughs) The hard stretch is coming up. It's just, uh, it's terrible news.
2: Yeah, a lot of it is with the older players on defense. I mean, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Tredavious White coming off an Achilles, Von Miller signing. I mean, that's looking like one of the worst free agent signings of like the last five years, given yeah. what they paid for him at that age and what he's given them. Offensively, I think they need a receiver, you know, uh, maybe maybe more than one. We'll see what happens. With Stefan Diggs, I think Allen is able to elevate. You're right. I mean, it, it is going to be hard. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I understand if you feel like you need some kind uh, of refresh. But yeah, sometimes you just like, I'm wearing this sweatshirt. It's, you know, it is Michael Jordan looking at all these basketball players from the, the, the 90s. They're just looking at him and they're mad because he they played in an era where he played and that ru- not ruined their legacy, but altered their legacy because they could not beat him. And so now everyone can point to them and say, well, you don't have a ring, you know, and, and that is part of what I will say this though, like. These have not like, like Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes is awesome. I don't know how much we're going to talk about Patrick Mahomes today. We'll definitely talk about him on Friday. Obviously this is an all time. Like this is the greatest football player I've ever seen. I'm comfortable saying that right now. These are coin flip games. Like that, like they're not killing them. Like, like the, this one two years ago. I mean, these are games that they're in fourth quarter, four minutes to play. They're right there. The game is there for them and they haven't been able to do it. So. uh I think it's, has got still, listen, we'll be doing this podcast, like you've said before, at mm-hmm. some point, hopefully in the, in the far future, at some point, one of these seasons, we can say they've done it. But, uh, Bill's fans, I feel for this sometimes. And I know there are probably fans of other uh, teams saying, Oh, give me a break. Like at least they're winning games and playing in big games. And there is some truth to that, but there it's a special kind of pain when you know you legitimately have a chance and you feel like you have one of the best players and you still don't do it. Like, that's different than just having, you know, like a Jets team where you're just like, all right, we have no chance. This sucks. You're yeah. ruining our falls and winters. That sucks yeah. also, but this sucks differently. No, this is a particularly nasty emptiness. This is just, this is, this is just
1: it's just it's dark. It's like
2: cruel. It felt cruel and mean watching it yesterday. Oh my and,
1: gosh. And especially because they, they were doing exactly what they did in the 42-36 game, they're driving with two minutes left to go to go and, and, and take the lead. And so you're already ready for the punch. You're already ready for they're going to take the lead, get the ball back to Mahomes, they're going to lose. And then it turns out the punch comes one one beat faster than you thought it would. Wide right again, missing the kick, the second and nine, the throw up the pipe, which I've seen people complain about this. It's the right throw. He's open. just he, Deion I agree. He gets dumped in his lap. Get oh, out of here
2: with that. It's all Tony Romo pointing out the shallow, which that's fine. But my guy, you're right. trying to score a touchdown, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, my first take is was going to be about the Chiefs' defense. However, because I'm okay. on Twitter during the podcast and Shield isn't, I have head coaching news that Shield doesn't have, and so I think we're going to do well, a, a little what do a we got live. All pivot. right, go ahead. Uh, oh, I like Shield. This. The Titans have hired a head coach. Do you have? Uh, uh, give me, your, give me your top three. Who, who, who do you think? If I tell you the Titans have hired, hired a guy, obviously you know it's not going to be a Lions coach or a, you know. Ravens coach oh, or whatever—they're okay. still working. Uh, who's your who's in your top three list? Your short list for the Titans.
2: Okay, I'm trying to think. I, I honestly don't remember all the people they've interviewed. Is it Raheem Morris? It is not Raheem Morris. I can get up
1: an interview list real quick for you if you like. Uh, Titans have they've interviewed Antonio Pierce. Uh, they've interviewed Brian Callahan, Mike Kafka, Mike McDonald, Dan Quinn. They've interviewed Thomas Brown. Uh, they've interviewed Bobby Slowick, They've interviewed Brian Johnson. They've interviewed Aaron Glenn. They've interviewed Brian Shaw. Oh my
2: God. David Shaw. Oh
1: yes. Excuse me. It's written, Bri- it's written Brian Shaw on the list. I was just reading off of <laughs> It's David Shaw. I was anchor manning. I apologize. Is it, is it Dan Quinn? It is not Dan Quinn. One more guess.
2: <sighs> would, the, would they go Slowick?
1: It's not it's Bobby Sloick. I, I, Mike I'm Kafka. Say, I'm saying Bobby, Bobby Sloick. Oh, for three, my friend, that's X family feud. <laughs> Who Bengals did they hire? offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan has been hired as the new head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Whoa. Uh, so Brian Callahan, uh, for those who don't know, big surprise for shield. I, I didn't think it'd be that big of a surprise. Wow. Uh, Brian Callahan got his start coaching with the Denver Broncos. Uh, he was there as an offensive quality col- control coach. Uh, he was offensive assistant. He was tight with, uh, with Peyton, right? He was a big, big and Peyton. were boys or something like that. Um, he landed in Detroit, he landed in Oakland as the quarterback's coach, and then he uh, took the Cincinnati Bengals offensive coordinator uh, coordinating job in 2019 with Zach Taylor's staff. He is uh, famously the son of Bill Callahan, who's a longtime excellent offensive line coach in the NFL. Uh, my initial thought on this is, sure there have been times where I've been frustrated with the offensive design of the Bengals over Brian Callahan's time there with Joe Burrow. They've had these kind of, you know, star receivers and they've kind of just run like a lot of stuff that we would criticize the Eagles for where they're running like really simple stuff because they just have stars. So they can, that would be present sometimes on, on the Bengals film. You'd be wondering like, don't you want to guys like want to run some unique stuff and some better stuff. They could be like really limited in terms of, like they're only going to be in the gun and then they're going to go under center to run. They're kind of predictable. I will say that by far the most impressive me- season f- for me, Uh, of Brian Callahan films this past season, both when Burrow was limited and then when he was healthy, I thought they were putting a better offense on the field, a more diverse offense on the field, a smarter offense on the field for him. And then critically, when Burrow went down, and they started to, to do the Jake Browning thing. I thought that they did an impressive job finding ways to get guys open, finding easy throws, and started to get a, like a spread the ball mentality, right? And you had like four tight ends who were catching passes, Yandre Yo- uh, Yoshivas and, and Charlie Jones. And again, all of these guys involved, uh, they're running the ball more successfully. You saw Chase Brown get utilized in cool ways. I did think that this Bengals offense from an X's and O's perspective was the most interesting one I've seen. With that said, I wouldn't have put Callahan at the top of my like, this offensive innovator might have McVeigh juice. List right, like I think if you were if you were swinging for like let's go get the young inexperienced offensive guy and see if he can revolutionize the sport, I would have been more interested in a Mike Kafka or a Bobby Slavik. I, I don't to be clear, I don't think either one of those guys is that dude. That's just that's where I would have rolled my dice. That's where I would have sent my gamble over a guy like Callahan. So this is not the sort of hire for me where I'm like. Wow. Maybe he ends up being a good, solid offensive head coach, right? Maybe he ends up being a a, a Doug Peterson or a, you know, Frank Reich Indianapolis version or just a guy who like coaches offense well and and keeps the ship running and he hires a good staff, what have you. Obviously he's going to have the NFL connections. Um, But Brian Callahan, the new OC of the Titans, they must have felt like they got their guy because as you brought up in the top of the show, no one's really been hiring anybody. No one's. It's not like they were feeling pushed or anything. They went and go got their dude. So Brian Callahan, head coach of the Titans, Sheil, I tried to vamp for you there a little bit so you could, you, you could square your thoughts, get some words down the yellow legal pad. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I'm, I, I am just surprised given the coaching, the pool of candidates that was out there. You know, you and I had to do uh, for the ringer as part of the divisional round entrance survey. There was a question like match a coach. To a team, did you have Brian Callahan on any team when you were filling out the openings? Oh,
1: it is extremely unlikely. I don't think I remember that Brian Callahan was getting interviews at the time. Yeah,
2: yeah. I doubt anyone did. That That's why when you said that, oh, I, he, he felt to me like somebody who gets interviews this time around, but is not going to get one of the head, coach, head coaching jobs given all the opportunities out there. Now, I think that the Bengals offense, I don't think it's just been this year. Like I thought last year, they did a great job uh, of adjusting it. Maybe they improved last year. That's a good point. I forgot about that, but they
1: certainly did. I just control F for Callahan on our divisional preview. (laughs) There's no chance.
2: Not a single Callahan mention, brother. Yeah, and I had people I had to leave out of that thing where I'm like, oh, I really like this guy, but can't get him in there. So uh, my gut reaction is that it's fine. Because the Titans are in this weird spot where, like, you know, they're not competing for a Super Bowl next year. So, if he came in with a good plan and they thought, okay, he can put together a good staff, uh, I do think they showed some off, they showed a good job of adjusting, of evolving uh, in Cincinnati over the last two years. I mean, that offense in 2022 look- looked different than 2021. And then to your point, I mean, Jake Browning comes in and their offense played well. This season. I, I mean, they they did a really uh, nice job keeping that thing afloat with Jake Browning in there. They finished 11th in offensive DVOA this year, Ben, and that, that's with Joe Burrow being injured. Like they finished ahead of teams like the Seahawks and the Colts and the Texans. I mean, I, I thought they did a really nice job there. Now, Zach Taylor was still calling the plays, right? In uh, Cincinnati, yes. I believe, unless I'm wrong about that. Okay. So Zach Taylor was still calling the plays. So, um, We'll see. I'm not like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, if you're a Titans fan, you're probably not walking around going, this is amazing. Um, at the same time, I don't look at it and say, this is a disastrous hire. It's kind of one of those where you say, the guy doesn't have a, ton of experience you know he's been the Bengals offensive coordinator from 2019 to 2023 you know 10 years ago he was kind of getting his start as an offensive quality control coach then like you said he moved up uh, to quarterbacks coach at a couple stops and then offensive coordinator so I think it's fine listen if you can hit on an offensive coach um, who can adjust who can get more with less there you go I'll say it with your offensive players then that's going to be a good thing. I mean, they're, they're in a weird spot. So, like, who's playing offense on this team next year, right? DeAndre Hopkins not, not is probably a gone. Derrick Henry's probably gone. Well, uh, well, you know, Ty so J. Spears? It's like, I love Ty J. Spears, actually. You know well, that. Oh, Yeah. So, it's uh, this is going to be like a multi-year thing. And I would imagine that they didn't want one of the big names because they've got Rand Carthon there. And, you know, part of the reporting with Carthon and Vrabel was that there was a bit of a dispute there. And so I think they want Carthon being the guy picking the groceries and they want a coach who's going to coach the players who Carthon picks. So we'll see how it goes. I wish I had a stronger take, but I don't know. Seems, I feel like you're probably in a similar boat to me, right? It's like, don't hate it. Don't love it. But we'll see. Yeah. So I checked, I checked my work Callahan is the Peyton Manning guy where he's like, I,
1: I learned how to play or how to coach offense from Peyton when Peyton came to Denver, which is like a funny, you know, usually that the coach, makes me the nervous. Player. Yeah. Cause last time I uh,
2: remember Adam Gase got a job because of one phone call Peyton Manning. Right. Made, so. That's the
1: name I was trying not to say. Um, I do. I did. I did quickly uh, scroll the Shield Kapadia list of rules for hiring a, a hiring a coach. Hire a guy, yeah. not a scheme. Like I feel like Callahan's getting hired for the guy, right? Because scheme wise, like they were they were pretty like we're gonna do what Joe and T and Chase kind of allow I agree. us to do. They weren't stubborn. And that's, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that interests me is, uh, it, when I go to think of schemes in the league that work for Will Levis. The what the Bengals run with Burrow is like thirty second on the list, right? In terms of like like like, Levis would not fit in that. Like Levis is built to throw the ball twenty two times over the middle of the field, fifteen yards down the field, and that Bengals team throws it fifty times. Most of them are flat underneath, and then occasionally deep on the outside, right? Like the routes yeah, that the they're Bengals completing
2: seventy five percent of, yeah, yeah. yeah high, the the routes that the Bengals yeah. ran
1: are not the routes that Levis throws well. The routes that Levis throws well are not the ones the Bengals ran. So like it's it's a bit. That fit is weird, but I don't think Callahan ran that stuff because that's what he runs, slash Zach Taylor. I think that's just what what, Bur- what Burrow needed. Um, and so I, I am that, that, that interests me, is kind of seeing what they're going to do, especially, like you said, with a dearth of weapons, to kind of build things around Levis. Um, I will say, though, because I don't want to do too much like make him adjacent to Adam Gates and leave him there. From the conversations I've had, which I've never spoken to Brian Callahan, but I've spoken to players under Brian Callahan. I've, I've seen Callahan coach, and then you've heard other people talk about Callahan. He seems like a sharp tack and like a solid dude. Like, like he, I think he he's a well liked guy. Yeah. I agree. I think that is my understanding too. Yeah, he, he tends to get like a, this guy knows what he's talking about, and he can communicate it clearly, and the players like him. Um, And, like you know, it's very rare to see someone get hired for the head coach for whom that isn't true. But it's happened, right? Adam Gase got two head coaching jobs and like people knew players didn't like him. Uh and so like that that is a feather in his cap. That's to his credit.
2: Yeah, the gate, you want to avoid the gaze, the myers, the judges, the patricias. Once you're like feel good that it's not going to be someone like that, then you can move on to the next tier. All right. So I'm sure we'll talk more about the Tennessee Titans in the weeks ahead. All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back with more takes. <laughs> all right, we are back on extra point taken. So now, now what happened? Like, was that your take? Was that a breaking news interruption? What are we doing here? Are you saying something? Am I saying something? I think that was my first take. My first take was Tennessee Titans hire Brian <laughs> Callahan. To be Good their take. Head coach. Your best take of the season, I would say. <laughs> you you saved right the best for last. I should have. Yeah.
1: Oh, dude, I should have been like, my first take of the Titans, they should hire Brian <laughs> Callahan. And when you got off the pod, after being like, that's ridiculous, this doesn't make any sense to them. And you opened Twitter, your mind would have been blown. Ah,
2: oh, huge, opportunity. I 100% would have been like Get the frick out of here, you hipster. Oh, you actually uh, I would have I I been, been like Brian Callahan with these coaches out there. You want them to hire Brian Callahan? <laughs> 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 oh, you. What a shame. Okay, <laughs> next time been. news perfectly breaks during a show. First that time you've checked Twitter during the show and uh, it's relevant. I don't have to yell at you for not paying attention to what I said because you also got a big episode for us. I mean, we're rounding into form. <laughs> coming up here on the championship weekend. All right. This leads well into mine, the second tape, second tape, because I got a head coaching one here. So, I'll act. I'm in on Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers. Let's do this. Yes. Let's call it in. Let's call it in. Uh, per ESPN, Harbaugh had a second interview there. I'm not telling you. Uh, first of all, this would be great for content. And as you know, I am team content, Jim Harbaugh and Justin Herbert. I cannot imagine more different personalities from how I know them, at least. Than those two guys. So the comedy upside of their personalities would be great. At the same time, I'm looking at this Chargers team like I do feel like they need someone like Harpa. I mean, the guy has won everywhere he's gone uh, 44 and 19 and one in four seasons with the 49ers, won nearly 70% of his games. Strong personality? Yes. You know what? The Chargers might need a strong personality uh, to lead them obviously built Michigan into a winner, beat Ohio State, won the national championship. So I feel like he's the right hire at the right time for this franchise, for this quarterback, for where they want to go. Now, the key here with Harbaugh is going to be the personnel side of things. And I almost feel like you kind of just have to hand him the keys. I mean, I don't know that you can pair him with some type of unknown GM and (laughs) expect personalities to work there. So uh, it might be a situation. Remember in Seattle, Pete Carroll gets hired and then he kind of hires John Schneider as his GM. I feel like something like that might be smart you know maybe you go to baltimore you snag someone from that organization who john harbaugh recommends who's not getting gm interviews and you say yeah and john harbaugh says, Listen, i like that we're a good organization just here trust me this guy's good jim harbaugh takes him on so you're going to year five with justin herbert ends the season last year season ending injury uh roster needs work there's no doubt about it i don't think it's an overnight fix but you can be like competitive next year. You can be in the playoffs next year while you try to rebuild the roster here in the next couple of years and see if you can build a championship type team. So um, I was just looking at all the pairings earlier today. I was looking at the coaching news and I said, all right, it's time for Jim Harbaugh. Get back in the NFL. Chargers are a good spot. Let's do this. I'm ready. What do you think? I actually don't know your your full thoughts on Jim Harbaugh.
1: So I struggle a little bit with Harbaugh because I think that, a team that hedges its wagon to Harbaugh is is destined for destruction. It's just how many years out is the destruction coming? Right? Like I think, and I how think many a, games do you win before it comes? yes? A, a Harbaugh's a Harbaugh. The rise of a Harbaugh coach team is to, truly meteoric. It's meteoric because it, it's a rise and it's meteoric because it it crashes and it burns and it. You know, I I don't really trust him to to keep a steady hand on a ship long term, kind of the way his his brother has. It might be in him, right? It's worth remarking. He's in Michigan since 2015. He was in Michigan for a long time. Like it might have only been there for like five years.
2: I couldn't yeah. believe that. Like when I was doing the, I'm like, oh my gosh, eight, nine, eight, nine years. And I couldn't were only, believe like, it. Nine scandals in those yeah. nine years. Like overall, <laughs> like not bad
1: on the Harbaugh oh, grading scale in terms of drama and nonsense and sanctions and cheating and, and, and fines oh, and, and whatever oh else God. is going to come down the mountain from all this. So that that that's why I struggle with Harbaugh, is because like I just don't think. It, this sounds so dumb. I don't think he's ever going to be like a Mount Rushmore guy, which like, okay, well, Mount Rushmore guys aren't usually available. So that's a dumb thing to be hiring for anyway. I definitely think he's an elevator as a coach. I think he makes a roster better. I think he makes a, a team better. I also think like you've seen Harbaugh. Obviously, he was at Stanford with Andrew Luck. They were incredible. But you've seen Harbaugh with, with the Niners in San Francisco and then at Michigan with the, with the quarterbacks they've had and Shea Patterson and, and J.J. McCarthy. Like he hasn't needed elite quarterback play to find a way to win. And that's such a, like a, 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 a sign of being a good coach, right? I really believe like if, if you are consistently winning at the level you're coaching at without the best quarterback at that level, that to me is like, that, that, that's impressive. Like he took that Niners team to a Super Bowl. So I really think he's, I think he's very good at building around the margins. I think he's really good at, at, at figuring out the other positions and, and, and how to get the best talent there and how to develop talent, how to develop athletes, how to maximize what schemes are going to work. Like I think he's got a mind for it. So if you're the Chargers and the only thing you've got, so the only thing you've got is the franchise quarterback. You have the dude, capital T, capital D. It really makes sense. It's a nice pairing. And then I also think like a lot of times the he's from here thing gets overstated, right? And like obviously when Harbaugh was with the Chargers, it was, they were San Diego, right? So it's not even like a from here thing. They've, they've relocated. But I do think that Harbaugh's the sort of guy who, wants to build a culture around himself, but also wants to build himself around a culture. Like he, he, he loves to live and die for the organization. He like, he, he, he promotes and also lives insane buy-in. as he said, after Michigan won the Michigan national championship, uh, if I die, just call me a Michigan man. Like, you know, he, 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 Fully drinks the, the the um. What's what's, what's quotes uh, like what's,
2: that? Just man, like football is so dumb. And are like cool. I mean, it's hilarious. It's you know, it's great. It keeps us employed. But yeah. so quotes like that are just, like if you have a quote like that to someone who doesn't follow foot. Right. Imagine like just a normal person who's not a sports fan, and you told them a quote like that. How dumb it would sound.
1: I say it all the time. If you're gonna be a good <laughs> NFL coach, you gotta be a little deranged. You gotta be a little a, nuts. A little,
2: not well. As Parcel said, these are not well-adjusted people. Yes, at, at the
1: very least, a little nuts. Uh, if I meet a coach and I'm like, what a lovely guy, I don't trust him. He's not good. No, and like, he can't coach. Yeah. So Harbaugh's right. Harbaugh drinks the Kool-Aid. I do think that Harbaugh like going to the Chargers to resuscitate the Chargers after they've fallen away, after they've never had a championship. Like, I, I think that you'll get good gym. You'll get like the, the sort of gym you want if you give him a challenge like that. Like, he's got to have his teeth into something a little bit. So overall, I like it. I like it for the Chargers a lot. I have no idea how to appropriately calibrate to Harbaugh. If you're like, is he like the ninth best coach in the NFL? I'd be yeah. like, I don't know, 17, four? Like, I, I have no idea how to put a number on it, but that's what I read on the
2: guy. Yeah, I feel like he's would be a top 10 coach if he came in. I don't know, just based on history. Like there is a history there. This right. isn't someone, co- I mean, he won almost 70% of his games in four seasons with the 49ers. And then he went to college and he beat Ohio State and he won a national championship. Like, I mean, the, the, yeah, the the resume is there. I mean, you mentioned culture, you know, just like the Chargers. I mean, no cult. like what is the culture? No culture, no identity. Like their identity is just that they're going to screw it up over and over again, and they're going to charge her and they're going to charge her and they're going to charge her. And so, uh, I feel like if you're Harbaugh, you look at this and obviously he's been wanting to get back into the NFL. At least that's how I see it from, um, you know, everything you've heard over the past several years. And it's just like, this is a nice opportunity to get back in. I mean, usually when you're taking over a job, quarterback is going to be a huge question mark and this is one spot where you feel like you have one of the more talented quarterbacks in the NFL and if you believe in yourself as a coach then you should be able to get something out of him that no one else has been able to get out of him and I do feel like like you mentioned you know Harbaugh is the culture like it's for like it doesn't feel like Herbert is going to you know that is not his personality to like you know it's me like I'm the identity of the team like you could that would be a good fit where it's like no no Harbaugh kind of Sets the tone with everything, and you just go out there and you play well, um, given everything we're giving around you. So there you go. All right, you're in it, on it. I'm in on it. Let's see if anything happens there here over the next week or so. All right, what do you got? What's your second take? My second
1: take is on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And and what I want to say about the Bucs is... This season, now that we can finally close the book on it, right? Uh one where like you and I were joking about Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask at the top, even by the end of the season, like the Bucks are gonna win the division and still like they're a team you want to take the Mickey out of because they're winning the Mickey Mouse NFC South. This season is a win for Jason Light, who's the general manager of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh the the story for me on this team making it through the wildcard round and then playing in the divisional round is the youth on this team uh, and the base that they, that gives them for what was going to in- inevitably be a post Tom Brady reload, right? You, you go, you, you get Brady, you go all in, you're paying everybody to stay in the building You're you're paying guys to come to the building, right? We are going to try to win championships with the 43 year old. Obviously it's Tom, like we gotta, we gotta go. We gotta go now. We ain't waiting. So once Brady retires and you have to start to you know, Donovan Smith is gone. Ali Marpet is gone. And, and, and Rob Gronkowski is in the building and out of the building. And you're going to start to, 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 to have a transition period. You paid Shaq Barrett a ton of money. And, and, you know, now like it looks like probably that was an over ambitious contract, but you had to do these things. You had to try to keep the nucleus together, win the championships. All right. Inevitably a reload comes. inevitably you are going to have to get younger. You are gonna have to cut some contracts. You're going to have to lose some ball games and the Buccaneers Lost their ball games. Don't don't get it twisted. You know this, this team was was struggling down the stretch last year, but this season, man, watching them uh, against the Detroit Lions, you got KJ Britt flying around the field at linebacker. Just a, a guy who has ousted uh, Devin White from that starting job. And, and remember, like they had a big future in mind for KJ or for, for Devin White. They need him to be the the heir apparent to Levante David. They've got this fifth rounder from twenty twenty one, KJ Britt, just kind of fill on the depth chart behind him. And then as White's struggling, KJ gets snaps and looks excellent. Talk about Elijah First round pick this year, defensive tackle. Ooh, you see some Kalaj and Kansi film recently? Is it a Kalash on the inside next to Vita Vea? Winning quick over the guard, generating pressure from the interior? I was a Kansi doubter. He's too small to succeed at the NFL level. He's been the, the pass rush guy they want him to be. Christian Izzian, who won their, their nickel job, undrafted free agent out of Rutgers this year. Yaya Diaby, seven sacks, playing off the edge, taking snaps away from Shaq Barrett. Uh, uh, they wanted Joe Tryon Shainka to be this guy. He wasn't that guy. Diaby's winning those snaps. Off at the side of the ball. Kick Luka Kadecki to right tackle. I did not think that was going to work. Early on, it didn't seem like it was going to work. Luka Kadecki got better at right tackle. Cody Mock, who's their second-round pick, played right guard. He's gotten better over the course of the season. Rashad White took a step forward at running back. Their youth, much of which has been drafted over the last two seasons, was going to define the scope of this reload. If you hit on a lot of those young players, and if the snaps that you gave them led to development or not, that was going to be, okay, because there's a one-year reload, two-year reload, three-year reload. How ready are we? And even if you're like, okay, we're probably not going to contend in the NFC, right? We're going to lose to the lions. Like we're not at that level yet. Even if that's the case, you think about a guy like Mike Evans, who has his contract coming up. I, I, I thought entering the season, I've talked a lot about Mike Evans being a midseason trade candidate. I think the trade, I think they're going to, they're going to trade him at the deadline. So they're going to be two and six. Not only are they not two and six, they went to the postseason, won a postseason game. Evans went over a thousand yards. If you're Mike Evans and like entering the season, you were like, I might leave Tampa for the first time. I might go somewhere where I can actually go win a championship. You're not looking at this Bucs team and saying we're winning a championship next year, but you're a lot more likely to stay on this Bucs team because they proved to you the rest of the roster did, hey, we're we're ascending. You know, we we've got young players, we can rebuild this thing, we can go. Now, I'm dancing around quarterback, and obviously the Bucs are going to dance around quarterback, and quarterback's the challenging thing here. But I want to say emphatically, as a guy who was a Bucks doubter and largely a Bucks taunter and teaser over the course of the season, now that their season's closed as it is. I do think that that this was a big win of a season for Jason Light and for that scouting department and that drafting department. A lot of the players who made this Buck season stay afloat, who, you know, brought them to nine and eight. In another world, they like don't make the playoffs but they're nine and eight. And we're like, oh, that's respectable for the Bucs. We were mostly like, you know, doubting them because they somehow snuck into the playoffs at nine and eight. This respectable season, I think, it has a lot to do with the improvement of young players and the drafting of young players, getting guys in the building, letting them compete and letting them grow. And so, the the young nucleus for the Bucs, a lot stronger here in twenty twenty four than I would have told you it would have been after the Tom Brady era. Hats off to them.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I'm on board with with everything you're saying. Like, I don't, I don't disagree. They got useful players, like you know the the names you mentioned. They played quality snaps for a team that was one drive within getting to the NFC Championship. So I don't want to poo poo that. If you ask me what's the most likely scenario going forward for this Bucks team, I would probably say they don't make the playoffs next year. And mm. they're kind of in this weird middle ground with a mix of like, okay, young players and veterans that they're not sure what to do with and a quarterback problem. And again, I don't mean to like, I'm the one who always says like, sometimes it's about just having a nice season as a fan. If you are a Bucks fan, you expected nothing this season and they were a pretty fun team and they got you a playoff win and they got you uh, an NFC South title, which you certainly didn't expect. I just don't like, like those names you mentioned. They're, they're fine player. Like they're fine. They're useful. I don't know. I look at that. Like if we lined up all the, nuclei, a word I have not said on a podcast ever, uh, the nuclei of different teams around the NFL. I mean, it's probably still going to be middle of the pack. Now, maybe you say, well, that's an achievement because they just came off this wild stretch with Tom Brady, where it was all in, all in, all in. And so to be even mediocre with your young talent after that is an accomplishment that I would agree with. I'm just not that bullish on them going forward, if that makes sense.
1: I, I try not to make this too forward-looking because I largely agree with you, right? Like, I, I put the forward-looking part of it in the concept of, like, maybe Mike Evans really wants to stay because he likes what he sees, right? Like, I think those are your major ramifications. I agree with you. I'm not picking the Bucks to make the playoffs next year, right? I mean, we'll see how the rest of the South shakes out. Maybe I freaking will. Uh, but, honestly, like, I, I don't anticipate doing that. I don't anticipate voting them as a contender. What I will say is that I very much expected to enter the 2024-2025 season Going, hey, the Bucks aren't going to be a playoff contender this year. Hey, the Bucks are still, you know, uh, recovering from the Tom Brady era. The Bucks are still reloading, but now there's a chance. I'm saying it while well, also saying, but they have a they might have a franchise tackle tandem. Like Tristan worst moved to left tackle and it went great. And I tell you, Luke Kadecki was playing great ball down the stretch at right tackle. That's a big deal, right? I might be able to say, hey, like you know, they're moving off the Shaq Barrett contracts. They had to, but guess what? Like they have a starting edge rusher in Yaya Diaby. He was a third round pick for them as a rookie. Like like that is is meaningful. That absolutely matters. Like they've been trying to get ready for the Levante David retirement for a long time. And and again, like I don't think KJ Britt has clearly won the job, but they might have the guy. That's the sort of thing that that keeps you afloat. It keeps you competitive. It keeps you uh, uh, active in league, league circles with trades and with free agents. And then if, and when you figure out quarterback, it gives you the springboard. I think that, that, that is meaningful. The fact that, that this front office is drafting. Well, stems the bleeding a lot faster and allows you to turn this thing around a lot faster. The turnaround ain't done. It ain't finished at all but it it allows you to finish this turnaround a lot quicker. And I think that's, that's hats off to to the front office. You got to hit your picks and they're hitting their picks.
2: Yeah, I agree. They, they got here without just leaning on the veteran players from the Tom Brady era. So I, I I think that uh, is a fair point to make.
1: on the other side of the ball. Like the lions are such a clear example of what happens when you hit your picks, right? Like we were like, Oh, this team's going to be like good this year. And then they hit on Jameer Gibbs, hit on Sam Laporta, hit on Brian branch. All of a sudden they're playing the NFC championship game. Like when you can like nail a draft, it has a is a has a remarkable uh, 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 impact on on leaping you up a tier, leaping you up two tiers. The Buccaneers aren't they didn't go from like good to great the way Lions did. They went from like they might be really bad to like average, but still hitting on a draft. Klaje Kansi, Cody Mock, Yaya Diaby, uh, Diab- uh, uh, Christian Izi is undrafted free agent. It leaps you up. And that leap, I think, it is cool to see.
2: Yeah, four useful players in a draft is a home run. Most of you might hear that and be like, "What? That's no." If you get like four starters mm. or two starters and two rotational players, uh, it's, it obviously depends on where you pick. I mean, Lions had four of what the first forty-five picks, so that's different. But yeah, that is a uh, that is a nice draft. And so, when you're positioned like that after their rookie seasons, that is promising. All right, take one more break. Come back with our third takes. <laughs> All right, we're back on Extra Point taking. So like I didn't want to do another Cowboys take because so I feel like I had a Cowboys take last week, but I was thinking My. about this and I, and I felt like I just want to go get out there and get ahead of it. So here's the take. Dak Prescott is about to have arguably the most leverage of any quarterback in NFL history. Whoa, walk me through it. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. You tell me if I'm wrong. This is what I was thinking earlier. All right. So since we spoke last week, I think it was in between, uh, Cowboys decided to keep Mike McCarthy for the 2024 season. But ESPN's Adam Schefter says they're not extending Mike McCarthy. So he is going to coach the final year of his contract, and then they will decide what to do. Well, guess who else is entering the final year of his contract? his name is Dakota Rain. Is that right? That's right. Right. Dakota Rain Prescott. He is also entering the final year of his deal. When he last signed his contract extension, Prescott got a no tag clause and a no trade clause. Okay. So this means that if Dak Prescott wants to leave after 2024, he would be just 32 years old at the time. And Like as things stand right now, there's literally nothing the Cowboys would be able to do about it. If Dak Prescott decided in his head or his camp or whatever, that 2024, I'm just playing it out and whatever happens, happens. And then I might want to go somewhere else. The Cowboys are unable to do anything. Most of the time, the team has the leverage because they can say, well, we'll just use the franchise tag once. Maybe we'll use the franchise tag twice. And now you're talking about three years down the road when you actually hit free agency. So if you're Dak Prescott, And you're looking at the quarterback market and you were, what was he? Second team, all pro this year, going to be top five Mm -hmm. MVP again, even Mm -hmm. though the playoffs didn't go the way he wanted to, the way the Cowboys wanted to. If you want to be incentivized to stay, I mean, what are the Cowboys going to have to pay you on an extension? They're going to have to make you the highest paid player in the NFL. Uh, I'm just telling you, that's what it's going to take. Joe Burrow right now is making 55 million per year. And so if you're incentivized to sign a contract when you are one year away from free agency as an all pro quarterback at 32 years old, like that's basically the beginning and the end of the conversation. If I'm Dak Prescott, it's either we're beating that Burrow contract and going above 55 million per year or... I'm just going to chill for a year and I'll figure it out after the season. So Prescott needs to be incentivized to sign this contract extension this offseason. And it's going to take a big, big number. Not only a big, big number, but remember all those conversations we had about did the Deshaun Watson contract change the market? Will other quarterbacks now get fully guaranteed deals like Deshaun Watson got? And it didn't happen. Deshaun Watson got 230 million, fully guaranteed. No other quarterback has gotten more than 146 million guaranteed. You know who's in position to say, well, I would like my next contract, whether it's three years, whether it's four years, whatever, fully Mm -hmm. guaranteed, or maybe it's not fully guaranteed, but it's just at a monster number that blows out the rest of the market. That would be Dak Prescott. He is in that spot. Like, this is a huge storyline to watch this offseason? Will these two sides be able to come to an agreement that keeps Prescott with the Cowboys beyond 2024? Or is there a chance that Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy, the coach and the quarterback of a team looking to contend for a Super Bowl, are both going into 2024 in the final years of their deals? Oh, it'd be be so good. What are the odds? I mean, what are the odds that that's going to work out? So bottom line, rare rare scenario regard, if you're listening to this go and give me a break Prescott's not the best quarterback like it doesn't that doesn't matter what matters is the leverage mm-hmm. of the player the market Dak Prescott performed at a high level in the regular season again 32 years old we never see a top 10 quarterback in his with prime years left enter free agency that's at least possible with Dak Prescott here, so there you go. Did I make the case? Am I wrong? What do you got?
1: No, I, I liked it. The more and more you got there, and the, uh, at first <laughs> I was like, I was like, how does Dak have the more most leverage anybody in history? Because I'm just thinking about they lost to the Packers, right? Like no one has any level. Like that's all right. it's all terrible. But uh, there was a report in December, right? That uh, hey, like you know, uh, the, we're we're going to potentially give him the big extension. They were, I want to say like like ten and three at the point or something. Like Dak was leading the MVP odds, like. There's a, there's, a, there, there's a public thought that like, oh, they were talking about it and then they got worse. Now they're not going to talk about it anymore. That's not really the way it goes. Like, like they were initially like feeling out what it's going to potentially look like. Like They're going to come back to the table on it without question, just to get an understanding of what, what's your camp expecting, what's my camp expecting. The, the other thing that makes the, the moment really crazy is that CD Lamb's got one year left, right? CD Lamb is, 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 has got one year left on his deal, $17 Micah million that he's He
0: needs
2: an extension. That would make him probably the highest-paid defensive player in the NFL. Yeah, and then anyway,
1: Parsons has one year before his fifth-year option. Yeah, yeah, so both so Parsons is now extension eligible because he's finished three seasons. CD Lamb needs an extension to stay on the team again next year. Uh, uh, Zach Martin, I remember the whole Zach Martin conversation with all the nonsense. Yeah. One year left, and then he's got void years, right? So he's like, he's there's cap money that's in twenty five and twenty six, but really he's just under contract through twenty four. So like. The Cowboys are, bring it in, bring it close, We got to whisper this so nobody hears, like dangerously close to a full team blow up if they want it. it. And I don't think that they would want that. There's no reason to want that. CD is incredible. Zach Martin was first team all pro again. Dak Prescott's incredible. But they're not committed to anybody beyond 24, which is stinky. Like that's not how things typically go. Uh, and so we'll see, right? They might walk out in March and be like, bam, CD extension, bam, Dak extension, make it very clear, like, this player nucleus is our nucleus. We have some coaching staff questions, but that's it. Or they might just be totally just silent as the grave over the course of the summer, in which case the narratives shield the storylines. I would like to see it.
2: I mean... We, now they will, like Prescott's cap number is huge this year. So they're they're going to do something there. But a lot of times that's a restructure where you just pay more money up front, spread it out over multiple years. That doesn't mean an extension. So when and if that happens, don't get confused. I mean, an ex- I, I'm telling you, if Dak Prescott signs an extension this offseason, it will make him the highest paid player in the NFL. Again, you're listening going, wait, the guy who has not gotten past the divisional round in what, seven, eight years in the NFL, yes that yeah. that is how uh, that is how this works. Guess who's yeah?
1: I mean, Josh Allen's gotten past it once, as we just went over, and no one's got like, like yeah. these are very talented quarterbacks. It's hard to
2: get past these benchmarks. So, could, could Dak Prescott finish his career? Where would you want to see him go? Let's let's say they come to an agreement. Cowboys say we're not doing that. Dak says all right, let's go try to win the Super Bowl. Figure it out. Now, can you like? I mean, there I think people would be shocked at what like the bidding war would be to sign Dak Prescott if he's available next off. And this is the thing, normally when a when a team's moving off for like usually it's like okay, trade the guy. I mean, Russell Wilson. show. Desha- no! They cannot do that. No tag, no trade clause. They would get nothing for Dak Prescott. I, I see in your eyes you want the Miami Dolphins. Oh, shit. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of
2: course. Are you kidding me? That Mike, Mike which
1: one is it? McDaniel. Mike McDaniel. Dak Prescott? Jalen Waddle?
2: 2025. Devon
1: A. Shane. I'm going to year two in the future. Tyree Kills are a little older. Oh, it would be a delight, Shield. I would if you thought Ben believing the Dolphins was a bad arc for the 2023 <laughs> podcast, you just wait until the 2025 podcast when Dak is on that team.
2: I will be incorrigible. All right, there you go. I'm happy with that. So I like when I get a reaction. I, sometimes you're like, give me a break. This is boring. I see it in your eyes. You just start checking social media. That one You were invested in. So that was good.
1: All right. I would say 95% of the time that you think I'm checking social media, I'm just trying to Google stuff to make sure I'm ready for your take. I had to get up CD's contract. I had to figure it out. All right. What do you got? What's your third take? My third take stunned that this ball is in my court and not in your court. Uh, The Kyle Shanahan time management issue is rearing its ugly head once again.
2: Oh, all right.
1: And what a dangerous thing to be true, Sheil. Approaching a game against the Detroit Lions and Dan Campbell. Uh, end of the first half. Niners are are, are down six. Uh, excuse me. Niners are up seven six. She was already <laughs> wagging his head. She's disgusted. I she I have the plays up. Could you do this from memory? You've looked at this so many times that you just know. No, have the, I have. You know, the time I actually stands,
2: have You know the down and distance. Honestly, and I'll let you go. I haven't looked at it since the game because this is not a one-time thing. This is almost what I expect right. uh, when I watch Kyle Shanahan coach football games.
1: So it is, uh, it is seven to six. The Niners are leading, but it has generally been a Packers controlled first half, right? It has been a bad first half for the Niners. Brock is missing and and and, and the the Packers have been driving. They've had field goals and they've got a fourth down fail. And, but in general, like shaky game, uh, the Niners get the ball 25 yard line, four minutes left, all three timeouts, four minutes before halftime. Kyle's running the football. We're getting a, a, a short pass. You pick up a first down. You're snapping the ball with one second left on the clock. They run three plays, She'll three before the two minute warning. All right. Get it down to the two minute warning. Again, all three timeouts. They have the ball on their 40. And they go, uh, uh, pass to Christian McCaffrey. Run, run. Get to third and two on the Packers, 43. The clock is running, 119, all the way down through one minute, all the way down through 50 seconds, down through 40 seconds. <laughs> My Eight. blood pressure is rising. <laughs> <laughs> as The clock decreases. Shields' blood pressure just increases 141 for just leaping up. They take a timeout with 34 seconds left on the clock. It is their first timeout. They then pass the ball underneath. Brock has a couple of checkdowns. They get the ball to the 30. They spike it with one timeout left to save the time. Third and two incomplete pass. They kick a field goal from the 30 and it has failed. They got the ball at the 25-yard well, line with four minutes left. And in four minutes, shield they moved a grand total of 45 yards. This was the best offensive football last year. And attempted a field goal with a kicker that they largely don't trust in Jake Moody. That was blocked. And they go up. I uh, think up was uh, in half the halftime lock room up seven to six. Now, that was the bad one. They got away with zero points, right? The result is very clear. Worth noting that the 49ers were losing this game 17 to 21 with six minutes left in the fourth. Got the ball on a missed field goal attempt from the Packers 31 uh at the 31 yard line. There's 6 18 left. And they decided to make that drive the last drive of the game. Six eighteen. When we, when you have timeouts, is plenty of time to go two for one if you're aggressive. And obviously, you're like, okay, if, if we can make this last drive of the game and ensure that those guys don't get the ball and they don't have a chance to rebuttal, sure. But you ain't been moving the ball that easy, Chief. This ain't forty-two to thirty-six now. This isn't. This isn't. Oh, we know we can take the air out of the ball because we go down and field and score. You haven't scored on that many drives. I don't know if you want to be playing that football. But they were running the football and completions in bounds and letting the clock go and not hurrying up and eating clock and eating clock and eating clock, eventually scoring from third and one with a minute left. But if they had failed Shield to convert on that third and down, fourth and one from the the Packers six, that was the ball game. They don't get that fourth down. It's over. They didn't play for two drives. They played for one. This is... Who Kyle Shanahan is, all right? Kyle Shanahan is a very cautious coach and a very uh, uh, negligent clock manager, accordingly. He's very happy to let time just fall and fall and fall off the clock, doesn't think about maximizing a possession, being aggressive, going for seven instead of three, going for two possessions instead of one. He, th- that is the opposite of the guy who's going to be on the other sideline on Sunday, and Dan Campbell is the head coach of the Lions. Campbell would like to get as many possessions out of the clock as he can. And the Lions will certainly run the football and sit on it when they have the lead and they're in that position. But remember, the Niners were not in that position at the end of the fourth quarter. They did not have the lead yet. Uh, Campbell will go for it on fourth downs in his territory, in your territory, fourth and one, fourth and five. He will go for them. If it is even a, a 50-50 lean coach's decision, Campbell tends to be aggressive. Campbell tends to like to go for those. Uh, they will... Uh, they will. You know. I, I promise you, the, the, the Lions are up 7-6, to six, and they get the ball back with four minutes left at the end of the first half against the 49ers. They will be going for seven points. There is no, they will not think for a second, oh, let's make sure they don't get the ball back. They will be going to put as many points on the board as possible. This is meaningful because the Lions are seven-point underdogs to the Niners. The Niners are clearly... The better team, right? As a guy who I believed in the Lions, I've been picking the Lions. I've 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 loved the Lions postseason. They do not match up well with the Niners. They gave up explosive passes. Like they, this is not a good matchup. Like Jared Goff throwing over the middle of the field versus Fred Warner. This is not the Lions game, right? This is in San Francisco. The Niners are the better team. The Niners are hugely favored, which means that the Lions are going to pursue a high variance game script. They're going to go for 4,000. They're going to go for two-point conversions. They're going to go for the luck-based things that if they break their way, give them a huge boost in their winning probability. They are the big underdog. They're going to pursue variance. And Dan's great at that. And Kyle's great at letting them have it. And and and, and in the worlds in which the Lions win this game, she'll, and in the... 20% and 15% of future universes where the Lions beat the Niners in the NFC Championship game, I can guarantee you a big difference between that Lions win and that Niners loss will be clock management, end of half management. So uh, Kyle Shanahan, this is your season. Weak NFC field. A great, a death star offense. Young players, generally healthy. Like the Debo injury is a big deal, but like all together, you got a great group here. This is your year. No Jimmy. You got Brock now. This is it. Do not... <laughs> Blow this on the same nonsense you've been
2: doing for years. Uh, Well said. I'm glad you were the one who brought that up this week. You know, I was messaging uh, with our wonderful colleague, Lindsay Jones, earlier today on Slack, and she was like, you know, rank the remaining coaches based on how you feel about them game management wise. And I was like, I think I'll go Harbaugh, Campbell, Reed, Shanahan. Yes. Uh, Harbaugh has become a little more conservative, I think, because he, lo- he loves his defense. He, he has been a little more conservative in recent years than the past. Campbell, I think, is very good, but sometimes goes out of his mind like that Cowboys game when he's going for two. But I do like when he goes out of his mind, it's generally to be more aggressive than to be too conservative. Andy Reid, I've had this conversation with so many people. They're like, wow, he's figured that out since his Eagles days. And I go, no. Patrick Mahomes has figured it out and just takes control of it. I think if you saw Andy Reid with a different quarterback, it would not be pretty. And then I think with Shanahan, and I actually don't think it's like game management errors. Like I think there's a difference. Okay, there, it's game there are management coaches. choices. It yes, it's yes. his mentality. He has like, do you ever have a friend who's just like worst case scenario? Like they're always thinking about like, you're doing something that is completely low, but no, this the worst case scenario pops into their head. Maybe you have a parent, you know, someone like this. It's always, they're thinking about the worst case scenario. That is how this man coaches makes these decisions, even though he has built, like you said, like literally one of the most efficient offenses of the last 10 to 20 years. And he's got the the one at halftime was wild because he was so worried about his offense failing and giving the Packers the chance to kick a field goal that he managed the clock that way instead of just going and trying to score the touchdown. Like that is a baffling, baffling decision. And he's done this consistently. This is who he is. This is not a one-time thing. This is not a, again, this is not like he's dumb and he's screwing it up. This is a, This is kind of something inside of him that is conservative and old school and says, this is the way we're going to do it. And so uh, you're right to flag it because it is absolutely something to keep an eye on. Dan Campbell is the opposite. I mean, that guy is going to be aggressive over and over and over again in that football game. You didn't mention special teams, by the way, another big thing. And we'll talk about this more on the Friday show, but uh, I've only, you've only
1: osmosis a small percentage of your character (laughs) into me. I've not yet received the special teams pollution. All right. I I grind in the special teams, DVOA. I'm not there yet.
2: Hey. Packers had the Packers had the big return in that game. Niner special teams has not been good. Uh, Lions special teams will have some tricks up their sleeve. So uh, I think you're right. Campbell's going to play to win. He is not going to be scared going into that game. And Kyle Shanahan is going to make conservative in game decisions that could end up being part of the story in that. I mean I couldn't believe it the end of the half honestly that was and by the way last ah. week so last week I brought up the McVeigh example Solak and and you know remember end of the half against the Detroit Lions where he sits on the ball with multiple timeouts left with Matthew Stafford against that Lions defense he takes a knee they lose the game by what one point right mm-hmm. guess what we saw this week Tampa Bay Bucks. Get the ball! I can't believe I'm using Todd Bowles as an example of what you should do, but hey, people can I, change. Todd's growing up, man. Yes, Bucks have the ball. A minute 27 left. Their own eight. Everyone was yelling at me. Shield McVeigh was inside his own ten. You can- yes, you still can. Do not be thinking worst case scenario. Bucks from their own eight drove 92 yards in seven plays and tied that game at ten going into halftime. I mean, if they don't do that, the game is a blowout. Like, do not waste possessions. Specifically, do not waste (laughs) possessions when your (laughs) offense is good. You (laughs) cannot waste possessions when your offense is good. If your offense sucks, fine. If your quarterback sucks, fine. If you want to do it, I'll still yell at you. But when you have an awesome offense, what are you doing? I mean, they're shrinking. The Packers are shrinking that game. They're keeping the ball. You need those possessions. So <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes, that is
1: without question the most fired up I have ever seen you. Oh, dude, yo, she was cooking. Oh man, I wish <laughs> we did full I video. I don't pond. even know what happened. I saved that just, clip forever. Once I she realized, like, <laughs> shaking his head, he was like throwing his shoulders. She was gonna hit somebody. Oh my gosh! Once I realized what
2: was happening, I
1: just started <laughs> laughing. Oh, oh, oh brother, is that what it's like when I get nuts? That was amazing. Oh, I went oh and scrolled goodness. your Twitter uh, timeline to find some yeah. angry tweet from you about this at the, the halftime of the game. You didn't tweet about it.
2: You just retweeted, I retweeted Barnwell. Barnwell. Barnwell said it well. Yeah, Barnwell said, so scared of other team getting three that he's cutting off his chances of scoring seven. So, right, listen, sometimes uh, I sh- I, you can't say it as well as someone else. You I should have texted you. Next, th-
1: next time, next time I'm texting you, and I'm getting a reaction and then I'm tweeting it.
2: make sure I'm on the record you cannot use my text unless I'm on the record although I tell everyone in my life you're always on the record unless you say off the record so a little double standard but that's how I operate. All right, sounds good. I don't know. Wh- I don't know what just happened. I blacked out. Okay, Kyle Shanahan, I agree with you. Oh, we'll talk. We'll talk more amazing. about that game on Friday. Okay. What a
1: pod! We had Brian Callahan Titans. We had <laughs> Dak Prescott Cowboys. Bait. We had going <laughs> nuts on Shanahan. Gosh, what's the extra point?
2: Uh, the extra point is uh, pretty low key. All I want is I wrote down pieces of news from when we last spoke, and we're going to do thumbs up or thumbs down on the little pieces of news. Okay, are you ready? All right, let's try it. Dan, and we can obviously talk, expand you know, our conversations about these in future episodes, but Panthers hired Dan Morgan, who was already in the building, as their general manager. What do you got? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumb neutral? Thumbs up. I watched uh, Purdue tcu in the beginning
1: of the 2019 college football season with dan morgan while he was with the buffalo bills we were next to one another in the press box because i was a scout with the draft network and he was the oh, i thought you meant this is like a, a story or something bills. okay no. right. okay and he was unbelievably nice to me especially because as i later learned afterward in classic ben fashion he was like hi i'm dan morgan i was like what's up man And I did not have any idea who Dan Morgan was. (laughs) And then I later learned that that was supposed to be a big deal. And he very clearly knew the whole time I didn't realize it was a big deal. And he was very friendly. For this reason, he'll be a good GM.
2: Yeah. Uh, Dan Morgan was in Seattle when I covered the Seahawks. Nice guy. Seemed like a well liked guy there. I do wonder about the Panthers' process. This is not about Morgan, but it's like, you haven't hired a coach yet. Like, wouldn't you want to? Aren't you thinking like, let's align the GM and the coach? And I also wonder, Ben, also about can Tepper who can temper attract right now you know what i mean like yeah. like morgan was already in the building which again he could be he could be good and i'm not huge saying, panthers
1: guy and loves right. organization and whatever yeah
2: but like i don't know how many i i do i want to see who they hire as head coach money always talks we know that but uh that was interesting to me all right i know what you're gonna give to this next one bears hire shane waldron as their offensive coordinator what do you got thumbs up or thumbs down I, I also have cool. a thumbs up. Yeah. I thought that was good.
1: I would describe Shane Waldron as like like not the finished product. Like I, there's there's a couple of times each Seahawks game where I'm like, okay, Shane, do you want to like relax, dude? Like we don't need to be doing this or like Shane, it's third and two. Your offense hasn't had a nice drive in a few drives. Like, do you want to just like run it and get it and like sustain something? I think he like makes some of the easy young mistakes that like a, a, he's like thinking now called plays for two years. Guys can make he gets a little bit too creative for his own good, but generally runs good stuff. And I think that he very clearly built an offense that maximized Geno. And I like when I can see a guy do things like, oh, you like these routes this way? You like these dropbacks? You like this sort of a pocket? We can do that here. I think for whomever the Bears end up getting a quarterback, he can cater things. I think that's a big deal.
2: I agree with that. And Waldron was there for the one year with Russell Wilson, right? The last year of Mm -hmm. Russell Wilson. Yes. And people forget like- It's three
1: years with, with Shane as a play caller. He started 21. Yeah.
2: That wasn't a good offense to watch. That wasn't a consistent offense. That was a top 10 offense in terms of DVOA by the end of the season with Russell Wilson on his last legs. No one's been able to come close to that with Russell Wilson in the years uh, since. And then, like you mentioned, I mean, Geno, like the way we look at Geno Smith now is very different than we looked at Geno Smith two years ago. I mean, I I thought that offense was going to suck going into 2022. And I thought they did a good job adjusting, uh, helping the quarterback. All those things. So yeah, I think he's established a high floor. I mean, he's been what, top 13, three straight seasons in Seattle with which like no one would look at their talent and like they've had offensive line issues. They had young offensive tackles. So um, I think he did a good job there. I think that's a nice hire by the Bears. And also one of the benefits of getting your stuff in order Early in the cycle, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if, if you like there might be a head coach who gets hired next week who would have been like, I would love to have Shane Waldron as my offensive coordinator. I would have been shocked if Waldron got through this cycle without yeah. getting hired
1: as an OC. That would have surprised me. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. So, all right. Good job by the Chicago Bears. Uh, Raiders hire Antonio Pierce. We, I was messaging you about this. because I'm like, do we need to have a take on this? And you're like, well, I kind of talked about it last time. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. You did since then. He actually got hired. And I think we both have kind of a sideways on this. Like my take on this. Yeah, that's where you are. I mean, my take on this is like, it might not work out. It's a bad history of hiring interim coaches and getting, um, you know, seduced by a five game sample. At the same time, the way those players went to bat, like that was unusual. The way those players went to bat for him. It wasn't like. Yeah, we like him. He's done a good job. I mean, what was Max Crosby saying? Like, he's going to demand a trade if they don't hire Antonio yeah. Pierce. Max Crosby threw his weight around, and I appreciate yeah. that from Max. That's six. Yeah, to that say. was a nice job by him. So, it, it listen, it might, again, it might not work out. I think it's okay to give it a shot. If it doesn't work out, it's not like you're in a horrible situation. You figure out the next move. So, I think that was a fine move to make. And then the last guy I know you like, Jaguars hire Ryan Nielsen as their defensive coordinator. Thumbs down. He should have been an eagle. Oh, I th- okay. He, I was like, he belonged <laughs> in
1: Philadelphia. Just that angry, mustached man belonged with my Philadelphia Eagles. Nielsen's good. Nielsen, Nielsen's, I, in my opinion, got the juice. I think he, he maximized a undermanned Falcons defense. They were one of the top defenses by success rate. By, by rushing defense, rushing EPA, they were the top defense. When you go and you look at DVOA, they weren't nearly as high A bonus adjustment. The Falcons did face some some uh, the, a really easy schedule of offense. With that said, uh, when I watch the film, I see a guy who understands how to make it work, right? In terms of uh, we're going to live in, 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 a, in a too high world, but we're still going to be able to defend the run. That inexorable problem that all the defensive coordinators have to deal with nowadays, you can see that he's got the same stuff that Dennis Allen did in terms of solving those problems. Some of the same liabilities too. And he asks a lot out of his corners. And I think that that, that's gonna be a bit of a growing pain for the Jaguars early. But Nielsen seems to me like a guy's got his head screwed on straight. I like that higher.
2: All right. I need to do di- I, I need to like formulate more of a I don't have a strong take on Ryan Nielsen. I thought their defense was fine, like you mentioned. I thought they beat up on a lot of bad opponents, 24th in defensive DVOA, 30th in defensive DVOA against the pass. So they played the second easiest schedule in the NFL. I will remind people, the Jaguars defense, you and I said all season did not pass the eye test statistically. They were 10th in defensive DVOA. Under Mike Caldwell, like back in August, if you would have told me, hey, they're going to be 10th in defensive DVOA, I probably would have picked the Jaguars to make the AFC championship. Like, I mean, their offense is really the side of the ball that screwed them. So I I wonder if that's going to be an upgrade or not. I think it's fine. I'm sideways. You know, there's a chance I come in in August and say all the hipsters love Ryan Nielsen, but here's why the Jaguars defense is going to stink this year. So that's possible that I come in with that take.
1: Hiring Ryan Nielsen is thumbs up. Hire, firing Mike Caldwell is thumbs down. So overall, you are at thumbs mm-hmm. neutral. And there's a a chance that the Nielsen thing doesn't work, right? Like whenever you make a change, right. like, things can get worse. And I thought that Caldwell was doing a good job with that, that unit. And so I think they hired a good DC. Overall coaching staff process for the Jaguars, making defensive staff changes and no accompanying offensive staff changes to me is a enormous error. The only reason I have not brought that up yet as a take is because I'm still holding out hope that they make an offensive coaching staff change. But once it's kind of the nails in the coffin, and I know they haven't done it. I will, there will be an exploit take and hear You where I go first take Jaguars are screwing
2: this up. There you go. All right. So something to look forward to. All right. Those are all the little nuggets that I saw that have trickled out in the past few days. All right. That will wrap it up for this edition of Extra Point Taken, a good one, an early post-dinner edition of Extra Point Taken. No Monday Night Football, three games left. We will get to all of them. So, all right, Solak and I will be back on Friday previewing the AFC and NFC Championship games, going over our picks, our props, our long shots, all the good stuff. So stay tuned for that. Thank you to Christopher Sutton for producing. Thank you to Eduardo Ocampo for the video production. Additional production supervision by Connor Evans and Arjuna Ramgopal. Everyone have a great week. We will talk to you on Friday on Extra Point. Dictionary.
1: Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit Fandle.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call one 800 Step or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here.